Welcome to this special series of Research in Action, where we talk about the outlook for the major economic sectors and investment implications for 2024. We're your hosts, Carolyn Bigda. I'm Matt Perone, Director of Research. And in this episode, we're joined by Associate Director of Research, Chris Benway, who's also the lead analyst on the industrials and materials team here. And he's here to talk about what's next for freight transportation, electric vehicles, industrial agriculture, and more in 2024. So Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So if we start broadly, Industrial demand slowed considerably in 2023 on account of higher interest rates, uncertainty about economic growth, and some supply-demand normalization that followed the pandemic. Are you expecting that slowdown to persist in 2024? Sure. Maybe a little background. So in 2023, it was kind of a unique cycle because even though the Purchasing Managers Index, which is a a gauge on manufacturing activity, was slowing in, in contractionary territory, We actually saw revenue growth in the sector for a couple of reasons. One was there was a significant backlog that built up over the past few years because of the supply chain challenges post-COVID. And then we also saw significant pricing as companies tried to offset the raw material and transportation costs. So uh, even though end markets were slowing a bit, we still saw growth in 23. Now going into 24, we do expect some cyclicality as order growth is slowing across the space. But the unique aspect is that we do have some secular drivers that are really important, such as the Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Act, onshoring and reshoring. We're seeing a lot of investment with chips and EVs. So we we do expect to see a cycle, but I think it will be a little bit more muted than we've seen historically. It just remind us quickly, did investors pay attention in 2023 to the revenue aspect of industrials or were they just more concentrated on PMI and how did that impact the stocks? Yeah, that's a great point. So the stocks were relatively resilient um, and I think it's both a, both a combination of the revenue growth, but then also they saw a significant margin expansion over 2023 because we started to see raw material costs decline, transportation costs, supply chain costs decline while pricing was continuing to flow through. So so I would say as a whole, the sector was, you know, a little bit more resilient than historically. So staying on the theme of growth or lack thereof, in the trucking and rail, you know, sectors, volumes were down. Yes. And um, so how are you thinking about that now, both from a growth outlook and how's the valuation set up? Sure. We actually see the transportation sector is pretty attractive going into 2024. So a couple things to mention that volumes have started to rebound both on the intermodal and on the commodity side. So we're starting to see growth. And then we're also starting to see trucking rates, truckload rates, uh, ocean carrier rates from Asia Pacific to U.S. have bottomed and are starting to improve. So, you know, it seems like we're seeing some bottom in the sector. In addition, there was a large destocking as consumers switched Mm -hmm. to travel and leisure activities versus goods. And, and we've kind of worked our way through that. And so we've kind of hit the bottom of the destocking as well. So it, it's always tough to call the transportation cycle. But historically, you know, when we're at lows like this, it's been a, a good time to, to invest. And how do those trends in transportation reconcile with the concerns we're hearing about a potential economic slowing in 2024? Is it running contrary to those outlooks? Sure. I would say a lot of the industrial companies uh, and the railroads themselves would say that they've already seen a decent amount of of the slowdown, you know, in in commodities. And you can see in the rail volumes that, you know, their their rail volumes are down 5% plus and a lot of these, you know, kind of large commodity end markets. So 
Yeah, so it, it is it is tough to, to call, but I think consumer potentially switching back to a more normalized good. We're seeing goods spending starting to normalize back to the trend line, and we've already seen you know some some pockets of slowing. So it's probably be a little choppy, but again, it, you know, it seems like we're more at the bottom versus the top. So another area where we've seen a lot of growth is airline travel that's been rebounding um, basically since the pandemic. What has that meant then for the companies that supply the aircraft, the aerospace industry? Sure. This is another end market uh, where we're very positive on. And I think the unique aspect is that even though the aerospace market is typically cyclical, we see kind of a long secular cycle within within the cyclical. And historically, that's been a good, you know, good time to invest. So a lot of the airlines, United, Southwest have large capex outlays uh, of seven plus billion, spending on new aircraft, replacement aircraft, wide body aircraft. You know, as they uh, continue to expand, and so the, the suppliers are you know w- really well positioned to benefit from this consistent growth. For investors, it's hard to accurately appreciate the duration of that kind of growth mm-hmm. in a cyclical industry. During the pandemic, did orders slow down? And then as a result, they're now catching up and that pr- could provide a tailwind potentially? That, that's exactly right. So essentially it cut off, you know, in COVID and so it was zero. And so the, it was a supply chain and a production nightmare. And now we're still working working through that. And, and then we also had the MAX issue and so that, you know, also uh, made production very challenging. And so we're now working through all of those. And, and now we're seeing, you know, the secular growth kick in as well over the next few years. And just speaking to the duration, do investors sort of accurately appreciate that potential growth as reflected in the stock prices? Or do you think there's still some room for potential upside there? Yeah, I would say I still see potential for upside. A lot of times investors appreciate the next year or next couple of years, but, you know, this seems like it will go persist beyond that. And so, you know, I think based on the current valuations, there's still opportunity. So so let's zoom out then and talk about the long-term uh, themes that you like. You've mentioned a few already, but I think some of the ones we've talked about are precision uh, agriculture, electric vehicles and renewables in general, um, factory automation. What, what are the things that you know you're looking to focus on in the next couple of years? Sure. Yeah. So maybe um, we can start with electric vehicles. So that's been you know a big theme recently. And interestingly, we've seen uh, electric vehicle adoption slow over the past year. Maybe stepping back from 2020 to 2023, EV adoption globally went from four percent to almost 16 percent. So increased fourfold. But uh, in 2023, in the U.S. and Europe, we've kind of seen those adoption rates plateau a little bit. China, on the other hand, continues to go linear uh, up and to the right. So the trend remains in China. I would say in the Europe, Europe and U.S., it, it has been more um, cyclical and interest rate impacted. I don't think that changes the long-term view of EV adoption for a couple of reasons. One is that it's, you know, especially for those manufacturers that started from the ground up, it's just a better product. And then two, another very important thing is that the greenhouse gas emissions and CAFE standards and EPA standards, those are not getting rolled mm-hmm. back. So I feel like they, the horse is kind of out of the barn. Yes, there will be a little cyclicality, but it's more of a small cycle in, in again, a long-term secular growth area. And so we continue to see EV adoption moving up over time. How are the automakers positioned at this stage in in the cycle of EV adoption? And how are the stocks positioned, importantly? Sure. So on the automaker standpoint, so, you know, you really have a bifurcation between the legacy 
original electronic manufacturers or OEMs, and then the the new uh, EV companies such as Tesla and Rivian. And and my view is that the legacy OEMs are in a really challenging position um, because they don't have the ability to build an EV from the ground up. And that's crucial because, you know, these cars are now very tech enabled. And so you need the ability to to wirelessly communicate updates to, to the vehicle. And the legacy um, OEMs just, you know, do not have that tech infrastructure. Hmm. And so, you know, from just a product standpoint, they're they're kind of behind the eight ball and trying to catch up. And then on the other side, from a capital standpoint, the capital outlays to produce EVs versus the traditional infrastructure is just significant. And uh, it is money losing. And so because of that, I think it, it's hard to get an accurate valuation and, and get comfortable with the, the investment case. And for the companies that started out as EV makers, I mean, some of them still haven't turned a profit yet. Is that correct? And what's sort of the outlook then for those companies? Yeah, that is correct. So that's why, you know, we really are focusing on those that have a great brand, a great product, that have, a, a, you know, a lot of positive feedback, uh, that have larger backlogs that are showing, you know, progression and showing that they can manufacture these vehicles successfully. And and to your point, that is just a handful. We've seen some shakeout, you know, within the upstart EV space. We think we'll continue to see that. And and ultimately, you know, it'll probably just be one or two that, that make it. And, and we've seen this, you know, if we look back 100 years, you know, we've seen this dynamic with, with the auto space. Um, and, you know, it's just a really tough industry. And then what about something like precision agriculture? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So we continue to be positive on precision agriculture. Again, you have to, in industrials, you have to be cognizant of the cycle. But I think the key takeaway is that precision agriculture saves farmers significant money on labor, uh, on equipment spend, on um, input cost. You use less fertilizer, you use less chemicals. And so I think that is the key underlying theme is that Yes, maybe farmer income is slowing a little bit as commodity prices have come down. And so, you know, there will be some slowing. But long term, farmers are going to spend money because they save so much. And so, you know, we continue to be very positive on on, um, companies that are participating in the precision ag space. We've been talking about autonomous vehicles for years, but it's actually happening in, in, in that sector. That's exactly right. So I was actually out uh, on a farm for a company and, you know, with just the swipe of their phone, the tractor started and, and started going down the road. So, and it makes sense that it would start in agriculture because, you know, there's uh, a lot less danger, you know, on the farm versus, you know, going down the road. I imagine there's a pretty big outlay in order for these farmers to get these tools to do precision agriculture, but in the end, it does provide a cost benefit. It does. It definitely does. And that's a great point that um, companies are trying to figure out a way to reduce that cost burden up front. And so they're working with different revenue models, uh, subscription services, retrofit models to where you don't have to buy a new piece of equipment. You can, you know, buy an add-on to your existing sprayer or planter and still get the same benefits. And so they're, they're working on, you know, um, being able to enhance adoption without the huge capital outlays. So maybe just to end the conversation, what are the biggest risks to the industrial sector that you are keeping an eye on in 2024? One of the key risks is just labor inflation, you know, across the space. So historically, labor costs have been relatively low, and we've seen incremental margins, you know, be healthy uh, across the industry. And so, you know, now it seems like uh, labor inflation is going to be a little more sticky. And so we have to adjust our our margin profile uh, going forward. 
So I would I would say definitely from a, a cycle standpoint, you know, a hard landing could could occur uh, as we were talking about with the transportation space. It does seem like things have bottomed, but you know, if if uh, consumers really start to slow with higher interest rates, we could see kind of a double dip. Uh, and things could go back down, and that would be negative, you know, across the sector. Another more macro geopolitical risk is, you know, as we saw with Russia, Ukraine, the impact on commodity prices and the impact on disruption across the space. Um, so, you know, in countries like countries like U.S. and China, and relations there, you know, it's crucial that um, that dynamic remains stable, and we continue to have uh, good relations, or um, you know, that would uh, ripple across across the industrial industry. Sounds like there will be a lot to follow in the industrial space in 2024. That's true. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. The views presented are as of date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janice Henderson Investors is the source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions, a. Europe by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited, registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Janice Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. B, the US by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janice Henderson Group PLC. C, Canada through Janice Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D, Singapore by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited, company registration number 199700782N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore. E, Hong Kong by Janice Henderson Investors, Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. G. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan, limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H. Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, limited, ABN 47124279518 and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43164177244, AFSL 444268, I, the Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office.
This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions and at resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Janice Henderson is a trademark of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. Industrial industries can be significantly affected by general economic trends, changes in consumer sentiment, commodity prices, government regulation, import controls, and worldwide competition, and can be subject to liability for environmental damage and safety. Purchasing Managers Index, PMI, is an index of the prevailing direction of economic trends in the manufacturing and service sectors, based on a survey of private sector companies. C0124, 540000, 12, 30, 24, TL.